I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. Thank you for joining me today for Let's Get Moving. And today we're talking about building and maintaining healthy family relationships. And my guest, Cheryl Cardall, who is a mental health educator, a parenting coach, and the host of Fight Like a Mother podcast. And thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Let's begin and just talk about the challenges families are facing in 2023 and the things that you are seeing. What's the biggest challenge families are facing right now? Um, Well, I would say one of the biggest challenges most families are facing is the mental health of their kids. Um, So many kids are struggling with their mental health that have never struggled before because our society is one where, you know, kids see all these things happening and, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was going to school, I didn't worry about school shootings happening and I didn't worry about a pandemic and, you know, all these other things that our kids are being raised with. And, um, you know, I would say so many kids have anxiety, whether it's clinical or whether it's situational with the world that we live in. And so I think a lot of parents are anxious themselves and don't know how to deal with that. And that is those are huge issues in a family. Right. When you have a family that is anxious anyway, part of their personality, and that is compounded by the things that are surrounding them. That's huge, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. So what is your biggest piece of advice to parents then when their family is going through stressors like this? Uh, what What's the best thing that they can do? Is there some key ingredient? I know every family is different, faces right. different situations. Well, first of all, I would say for parents to educate themselves on mental health and what that looks like and when to get their kids help and, you know, learn about anxiety because anxiety is a normal human emotion, but when it's taking over our kids' lives and they can't go to school and they're having stomach aches all the time and they're, you know, educate yourself on what some of those symptoms are as well as depression and other things so that you know, hey, this isn't normal kid or teenage behavior. This is beyond that and it's really affecting their everyday life. We probably need to get them some extra help. Right. Support. It's a tough one for parents though. Uh, I know, having gone through some struggles with my teenagers, that sometimes things are hidden and you don't see them and you think, oh, this is just part of being a teenager when maybe it's not. Right. Well, and I would say if it lasts for several weeks, you know, a month or more, then they probably need some extra support and need, need to talk to somebody or um, you know, go talk to your pediatrician or find a therapist. Um, if your child is struggling, they need extra support. And sometimes we aren't enough support as parents. And that's okay. 
Yeah, sometimes we come down hard and then that wasn't really the right answer exactly, to the problem. Exactly. And that's another thing that I would say, um, another key for parents is really focus on the relationship first. You know, sometimes kids make mistakes. Kids make mistakes all the time. We make mistakes as parents all the time. And I think we need to give each other a lot of grace and focus on that relationship because we're all going to mess up. Human relationships are messy, um, but focusing on that relationship and then apologizing and repairing when we make that mistake is huge. So how do we focus on that relationship? What does that look like to build that really strong relationship rather than kind of have that animosity between parent and child? Right, right. Well, I think sometimes in the past that, you know, it has been the parent is the authority and because I said so and because I'm the parent, that's why. And I think these days with our kids, with all the things that they're experiencing with social media and all the pressures that they're feeling, we really have to be someone that they can feel like they can talk to. And so one of my big keys is to meet our kids where they're at. You know, if they're not coming out of their bedroom and you're worried about them, take them their favorite treat into their bedroom and rub their back. Don't plan on having a big old conversation, but just do something that they'll like. Let them listen to their music in the car. It's these little things every day. You know, when you're thinking about them, send them a text. And I would say be less focused on punishment for their mistakes and rather teaching and talking through and collaborating with them, especially the older they get. Right. Talk about that family bond and how that does change as they get older and why it's important to have just that really good, strong foundation to begin with. Right. Well, you know, as kids get older, their job is to push us away, is to break free from us. They're seeking their independence. And so I think if we can remember that, that don't take things personally. It's not about you. Even when they say things to you, even when they slam their door, it's part of their natural development, to be honest. And so I think if we can remember that, it helps us to not jump right into, you know, you can't talk to me like that or whatever, because that never does any good. We can talk to them later when things have kind of calmed down and, you know, we're in a better space with them. But I think just that, okay, this isn't about me. I'm not going to take this personally because we know it is their job to pull away, to push the boundaries. And so we can kind of enter into a partnership more with them rather than, you know, we're the authority and that's why. So they could have input on the family rules. It doesn't mean they're always going to get what they want, but if we listen to them and take their input, I think it's huge for them to have some buy-in to family rules or consequences or all of those things. Right. It is their job to become independent. And that's hopefully yeah. what we're trying to do as parents is raise independent children who can be successful. Exactly. Right. And it's hard to parent really independent kids and kids who speak their mind and sometimes talk back to us. But really, those are great qualities for them to have in the future. They're just hard to parent. They are. One of the really tough things is that kids aren't made equally. So what right. something that works for your oldest doesn't work the same for your youngest. Exactly. You really have to kind of mold yourself to whatever their personality traits are. Exactly. And you may have one kid. My youngest is super sensitive to any time. I mean, I raise my voice even a tiny bit. Don't yell at me. You know, he kind of melts down. And so I have to be really careful how I talk to him because otherwise it just does no good to talk to him like that. You're right. Every personality is different and we have to parent them differently. So, and I think especially some kids who maybe have extra needs or have mental health challenges, you really have to kind of think outside the box and 
put aside things that maybe don't really matter that much. You know, what matters most is that child and their life and your relationship. I sometimes hear from parents, oh, hey, I can't wait till they're 18 and out of the house. And that has never been my experience. It might just be my ethnic background. And maybe I'm just trying to hold on too closely to my children. But it's interesting, the family dynamic and how it Mm -hmm. changes as they do get older. Yes. Well, I have two adult children. Well, I actually have three. My third one just turned 18. They're all living with me still. Rent is out of control in our city. And, you know, they help around the house. They, they do lots of things for us and they would like to move out. They're saving money to move out. And if we can help them so they don't have to pay rent right away, then that will help them in the future. So I think it's every family dynamic, like you said, is different. It's culture, it's things, but I've never been one either to say, you're 18, out of the house. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Let me see what we can do to help you be as successful as possible. And who are you? And what is it exactly that you are searching for in your life? Not that they've both have found exactly what they're searching for yet, even as young adults. But yeah, talk just for a second about that dynamic, though, because when you're dealing with adult children, you do have to approach things differently. And that doesn't mean that there aren't challenges within the household. Right. Well, my my oldest sister, um, who I take lots of great advice from, says when you have adult children, you are a cheerleader who bites their tongue a lot. You know, she said, (laughs) you cheer them on, you encourage them and you don't give advice unless they ask for it. And so, yeah, we really have to step back and, you know, kind of let them forge their own path and be encouraging and helpful. I think if they're living in your house, you can have, you know, certain expectations that they help around the house. Or I know some people charge them some rent if they're staying there or, but yeah, I mean, as far as their choices and their path they're taking, we kind of have to take a step back. Yeah, I want to take a step back just for a second and talk about having conversations with teenagers. I think sometimes parents are really afraid of approaching the serious topics like suicide, uh, drug use, uh, cutting, whatever it might be. And I think it's important just for a minute to talk about how parents should approach those subjects, because I think they're afraid sometimes to even go there. Yes. Well, and here's the thing is, you know, with the advent of social media and, you know, this 24-7 news cycle and our kids are seeing all this happen, our kids are seeing this earlier than maybe we even thought that they would or they're talking, kids are talking about it at school. And I think it's so important for us to give them the information that we want them to have. Talking about suicide with them is not going to make them suicidal. It has actually been shown that it is preventative and it opens up the conversation. So sometimes our kids think, I can't talk to my mom about that. It's too heavy. She'll be scared if I bring this up. When if we bring it up, they're like, oh, if I'm having these feelings, that doesn't mean I am actually going to take my life. It means I need to talk to somebody and my mom has talked about it. I know I can bring this up to her. 
Same thing with cutting and drug use. I mean, just having these open conversations, I think we have to be more open than our parents were. Um, than parents have been in the past because these things are front and center. I know, yeah, my parents never had these conversations no, with me. No, mine either. Did. Same with like sex and, you know, partners and all of this. Like it just, we just have to have an open thing. And one thing I have found to be useful is if I see something that comes up in on social media, like a social media trend or a news story about a teenager or you know, a study on drug use, that's a great way to open up a conversation. Hey, I was just noticing this on Instagram, or I read this article. Let's have a conversation about this so that it's not necessarily, hey, let's have a sit down conversation about suicide and staring each other in the eye. Also, the car is a really great way to have conversations because they don't feel so attacked that you're sitting there staring at them while you're having this conversation. Right. We are here to talk about building those strong relationships, things that people can do. Is there something everybody could do every day, a small thing that would make a difference in their family? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a big, I'm affectionate. And so I, even my adult kids get hugs every day. I mean, that's such a small thing. If you're not affectionate, you know, find some way to connect with them. I mean, my daughter is a huge Taylor Swift fan. So we listen to Taylor Swift. I'm doing a Taylor Swift challenge with her right now where (laughs) she has a prompt every day and chooses a song and we listen to it together. I mean, it's just kind of entering into their world and connecting with them that way. If they love video games, go sit with them and ask them why they love the video game. Instead of getting frustrated that they're playing video games all the time, find out why they're so interested in that. I think it's important to talk about parent expectations for a minute yes. because yeah. I think what you dream of your child becoming maybe is just totally unrealistic always. Um, Absolutely. How do parents manage their expectations? Because we all want to have the perfect family and we may yeah. think that our family just has way too many challenges. Well, let's just say right now, there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as perfect parents. We're all a hot mess, (laughs) but we just don't share that all the time, you know? So we all have our challenges. Every family does. And I think managing those expectations, like you said, for each child, like I have a child who really struggles in school. So my expectations for them in school is different than my child who I know can get straight A's, but maybe just isn't putting forth the effort. And so I think it's managing those according to the the child. But also, you know, at some point, my oldest child who can do fantastic in school was really struggling. So we back off those because their mental health is more important than, than grades. And I think also like our kids aren't a product that comes from us. They're their own individual person. And so we don't get to take credit for their failures or their successes. And so I think that helps us manage our expectations that this is their journey. They get to choose these things and go forward with their life. And our expectation of them is to be a good person and, you know, be respectful and kind and all of that. But even that we can't control. So So before I let you go, I know you have an event that you want to talk about. Tell us about the event you have coming up that can help parents. 
Um, on September 16th, we have a conference. It's a mental health conference. It's called the Fight Like a Mother Conference. We're partnering up with NAMI Utah to present this conference. And there are some amazing speakers. We have breakout sessions for parents as well as general mental health sessions. So we have topics such as mental health and nutrition, parenting support, actionable tools that you can utilize in your family to help your kids' mental health. We have therapists and psychologists and lots of different people coming. And the lineup is just amazing. And so it is a, it's on September 16th at the Miller Conference Center at the Sandy Solid Community College campus. And yeah, I can give you the link and maybe you can put it in your show notes or something that people can register for, but we would love to see you there. It's a great community event. We're hoping because mental health can often, mental illness can often be a lonely journey. And we're hoping this can create a community of people that you can realize you're not alone. Okay. I will share the link in the show notes if you will send that to me. I will. And Mm -hmm. any final thoughts though, Cheryl, that you would like to leave folks with? Uh, Realizing we're all a hot mess. uh, What's the best (laughs) way we can build stronger family relationships? I was in a conference once and the speaker said something that just really impacted me. She said, when we make mistakes and own them, it gives our kids permission to do the same. And so I think when we mess up as a parent, when we yell or we punish too harshly or whatever, it's okay to step back and say, you know what? I really made a mistake here. I messed up. You know, I hope that you can forgive me. And then giving them the same grace when they mess up and make mistakes. And it teaches them how to repair relationships, how to say, I'm sorry. And we can be the model for that because they're going to make lots of mistakes as kids. And we make lots of mistakes as parents. And so I think owning those mistakes is really beneficial to the relationship. Cheryl, thanks so much for being with me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Maria. My guest today has been Cheryl Cardall, who is a mental health educator, a parenting coach, and the host of Fight Like a Mother podcast. And thank you for joining us for Let's Get Moving. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and on Instagram at Moving Maria. And check out all our latest episodes wherever you like to get your podcasts. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.